It's great to be here this morning. Uh, those of you just joining us, uh, wondering who the new guy is up front. Uh, I'm a visitor. I'm here all the way from Hamilton, Ontario this morning. Anybody? Oh, all right. <laughs> that may be the biggest hand that Hamilton has ever gotten. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I live in Hamilton. I mean, it's, it's beautiful this time of year. I think we have a picture of the, the place. Uh, take a look. There it is right there. Uh, sees a few trees, just a couple peppered throughout there um, <laughs> that haven't died from the pollution yet. Uh, it's very nice. I mean, although, although the people say people who promote uh, Hamilton as a tourist attraction, uh, they don't usually use this picture. Uh, they usually use this picture uh, here uh, because it's, it's supposedly the city of waterfalls, and they, they somebody they sent somebody around to count them, and they came up with a number that was pretty outrageous, like a couple of hundred. Because we live on this sort of an escarpment that runs through it. To me, there's about three waterfalls. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the, the, the beautiful ones, is Webster's Falls. And this is where I make my home with my family. Um, not, not in the waterfalls, uh, but uh, in the neighboring, you know, uh, subdivisions and stuff. So, uh, um, and I, uh, I've been there for a number of years, about 18 years. Uh, and I make uh, my living uh, performing music all across Canada, in the United States. And... Um, and I uh, have always loved music. I've always played music. People ask me how I got started in music. I say, well, you know, I, I just, from an early age, I remember saying to my mom, I said, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a musician. She said, well, son, you can't do both. So, um, <laughs> some, of you, some of you are just getting that now. That's a, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so I live there, and, and, I, and I make my home there, and I travel from there. And, and in my travels, I sometimes get to do amazing things, um, particularly with uh, the, or, the work of Compassion. Compassion has, uh, has uh, generously brought my wife and I into the field to see the work that they do in the field. And uh, in places like uh, El Salvador and the Dominican Republic and then Haiti, these are just some of the countries that I've, I've been to, and it's, it's just been an incredible experience every time. Now, how many people this morning would say you've heard of compassion before. But most of you, like many of you, right, yeah. For those of you who maybe are joining us this morning and, and this, this is new to you, I'll just give you a brief synopsis. Uh, this, this is an organization that was started 60 years ago by an uh, American preacher uh, who was preaching to the troops. He found himself in South Korea, and he noticed that there was a lot of uh, orphans and as a result of the war. And he thought, well, the least thing that we can do back in America is to do something about that. And so he started an organization that would later become Compassion, a child development organization that operates in now in 26 countries around the world. And uh, it's, it's really grown, and there's millions and millions of kids that are sponsored by people like you and I this morning. And uh, so Canada is one of the donor nations, uh, of course the states. Uh, but incredibly, South Korea just joined that list of donor nations. They said, we don't want to receive aid anymore. We want to give aid to the world. And uh, that's how compassion is kind of working themselves out of a job, you know, country by country. Is, uh, and so it's, it, to me, it's the very model of a sustainable uh, development organization in our world today. And I'll say a little bit more about how they do what they do. Um, but uh, they, uh, we, we got to, to spend uh, some time in, in El Salvador, and uh, it was an incredible thing to see what they do for kids there. And, of course, um, Maybe you raise the question, why does compassion focus on children specifically? 
And it's because children really are the most vulnerable population in our world today, uh, particularly in third world and developing countries where the challenges are that much greater. Challenges like uh, famine, war, um, gangs, uh, human trafficking, uh, disease, and lack of uh, access to opportunities and, uh, and education. And kids are always the last ones to get those things when those things are handed out. And so, uh, so Compassion seeks to, to start with the children and to maybe, uh, there's kind of a blank slate sort of aspect to children as well. If maybe the, the parents have made their decisions, but the kids are still open to being educated, open to learning about their identity in Christ, which is something that Compassion teaches too. That's their distinctive really, is that they are, they're not afraid to share the gospel and to let these kids know that hope comes from Jesus Christ and that their identity is that they are children of God. And uh, that changes everything for these kids, and it's pretty cool. Um, so this morning, it's, um, I could go on and on about all of the challenges and all of the stats that I, I could throw stats at you for, for hours of, of what these kids are up against. Suffice to say that it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, insurmountable for them if they don't have somebody coming along and helping them. And this is our opportunity, of course. And so I want to sing a song called We Will Overcome because I really believe that uh, Compassion's work around the world is overcoming the odds to, to poverty and to lack of uh, access to clean water and, and food. And, and it's doing that uh, child by child, uh, community by community, country by country. And it's really cool. And so I want to I want to sing a song that I wrote for my church back home uh, this morning. This is called "We Will Overcome."
on that trip, we got an opportunity to meet our sponsor child, a little girl named Sarah. And uh, Compassion is unique in that way as well. I mean, it's the, they're, they're, uh, when you sponsor a child through Compassion, it's actually, you're actually sponsoring a child. Like, it's not, they're not just an emblem for your donation. There's actually a child somewhere in the world that you can go and meet and interact with. Uh, you write them letters. You send them pictures. Uh, you encourage them with scripture verses and give them hope. And uh, it makes all the difference. That personal connection makes all the difference. And it was really cool for us. We felt that same way that when we were down in El Salvador, the, um, uh, just greeting children at, you know, by, the, by the hundreds in, in all these projects, uh, just to have that day where we just were with one child, this little girl named Sarah. I think we have a picture of her. There she is there. And she uh, is a beautiful little, She's one of uh, tens of thousands of kids that is sponsored in El Salvador alone, you know. And she's just a, a beautiful little child full of hope and uh, full of joy and full of uh, mischief, too. <laughs> she was, a, she was a hilarious. She'd just sort of poke me in the arm and run away, and then I'd kind of poke her in the arm and run away. And we kind of had this thing, like her and I and, and my wife, we just kind of connected without language, you know. Because uh, we, I tried to learn Spanish before going down there. I, like, crammed for it, like, two weeks beforehand. Yeah, sort of like cramming for a dentist appointment. It, it doesn't really work. <laughs> so, uh, so, we, so I didn't really know any Spanish, but she, and she didn't really know any English, but it didn't really matter, you know. And we just had this connection that transcended all that. And uh, just spending the day with her really just lifted our spirits. My wife and I came into that trip pretty uh, depressed in a way. Like, we were pretty... You know, we, the wind had been taken out of our sails uh, by a trip to the doctors. Um, and uh, we, we'd heard from the doctors that, uh, that we were, the dream that we had for years was to have, ch- have children. And uh, we had kind of been to the doctors many times to try and, and do something about that. But, uh, but they, um, they were not able to help us. And so uh, it, was a, it was a challenging time for us. It was... Um, we we, uh, we weren't sure what to what to expect going into this uh, this trip down to El Salvador, but what we got was a day with Sarah where she just reminded us that maybe just maybe family can look a little bit different. And um, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, I want to play a song that I wrote for Sarah here this morning. And, uh, this is a song that I wrote on the plane ride home. It's amazing what a fresh experience will do, you know, for a songwriter. It just, it just right away you want to write a song about it. And so this is, um, this appears on a record I made called uh, Maybe Sunshine, uh, just a couple years ago, and uh, it goes something like this. Like a sleeping baby makes no sound. We were in the dark. 
darkness till our heads down. back from our trip, we really felt strongly led to, uh, to rethink our sort of plan for family. Because um, it had been a long wait. My wife and I, we just had been waiting for a long time. And it was particularly hard on her. And I mean, in a group this size, it's maybe safe to say that there's a few people who, who know what we're talking about. We sort of felt completely alone when we were going through it. But uh, we since learned that one in six couples uh, struggles with infertility in some way. And uh, 
So that's a pretty that's a pretty staggering figure if you think about it. So there's a lot of people in this congregation that may be suffering, uh, and in silence too. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Um, during that time, I wrote a song for my wife called uh, "It's Not the End of the Road," and because uh, I just really felt strongly that God had given us this this little dream, and that we weren't supposed to relinquish it. We had prayed to God that you know if this is not of you, if this is not what we're supposed to be doing take away the desire for children. But the desire for children never really left us. And, um, and even though my wife, you know, she, she found it really hard to kind of bear that burden because, you know, you come to church and there, there, there's baby baptisms, you know, there's triplets, there's quadruplets. You know, there's just everywhere you look, there's babies and people pushing baby carriages, which is wonderful, you know. Don't get me wrong, it's wonderful. But if, that, if the thing you're waiting for is children, then it's a trigger sometimes for your own grief. And so uh, as we walk through that, I just I wrote this song for her and just to kind of remind her that uh, it wasn't over yet, you know. And perhaps there was, there was more that, that, we, that would happen. And so this is, uh, this is called End of the Road. Keep this dream alive. 
we haven't played our love. We get it down on our knees every night. Heaven knows. Oh, it's not the end of the road now. It's not the end of the road now. It's not the end of the road now. It's not the end of the road, my love. So uh, through Sarah, who felt so much a part of our family, you know, that day, which is, of course, what happens, you know, when you sponsor a child through compassion, you welcome them into your home. It's kind of like you've adopted them, you know. You kind of put them, their picture on your fridge, and you write them letters, send them pictures, and you start a relationship with them that uh, is unlike any relationship that that child has in the world. So nobody else writes to them from another continent. Nobody else encourages them, in some cases, with scripture verses. Nobody else tells them that they can do anything. We tell our kids that all the time. We say, kids, you can be anything. There's no limits. But for kids in the third world and the developing countries, this is not a message they get a lot. They get, like, lower your expectations. We don't have any food. We don't have uh, running water or a working toilet. We don't have any of that. So you're probably not going to be the president. You're probably not going to be, you know... This is sort of the implicit message, if not the explicit message. And so when you, when you uh, welcome that child into your family and, and in that way, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. But it really turned a light, light bulb on for me that day. I was like, oh, adoption, you know. Adoption really is, is our story, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, it's the story of the gospel. That uh, there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's sort of first family. They say God is love. They say that because God, the Father, loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. And it goes around and around in a circle. They are love unto themselves. And we've been invited into that dance of love. Adopted, if you will, into that dance of love. And it's really the language that the Scripture uses. There's a Scripture verse here that I want to just uh, read with you here this morning. It comes from Galatians. It says, But when the right time came, God sent His Son to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And that's pretty cool that he does the prompting. He, he sends the spirit and he prompts us to call him Father. You know, he doesn't just adopt us. He, he closes the loop. And so that was... That was forefront in our minds when we came back from that trip to El Salvador, and we decided to start the process of adoption, adoption in, in Hamilton, um, to adopt a little boy or girl right in our neighborhood kind of thing. And so uh, we had to take a course to become a parent, uh, among other things, which was interesting. Um, while we were there, we sort of noticed that nobody else has to take a course to become a parent. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> but it was cool. You know, we learned a lot. We, one of the things we learned was that you could be waiting a long time for a match through children's aid, uh, which was the direction we decided to take. And so um, we buckled in for a long wait. And uh, we were as surprised as anyone was when in April of 2010, we got a phone call. And they said, okay, are you guys sitting down? 
we may have a match for you guys. There's a little boy uh, born to a teenage mom who couldn't take care of him. And he lives in a foster family up on the mountain in Hamilton. Yes, we have a mountain in Hamilton. <laughs> Don't look so incredulous. Um, and uh, so we decided, that, yeah, like that, absolutely, we would love to meet this little boy. They said, you decide if it's a match. And we didn't know what that meant because we'd never done this before. So we didn't know how to decide if it's a match or not. We just knew that we were really excited to meet this little guy. And so we went up to the mountain and uh, we, uh, I remember parking the car and just walking up the driveway. And uh, on the drive over, we were, we'd been reflecting that it had been almost exactly nine months since we started this process. You know, which was interesting. Nine months, of course, the average gestation period for the human life. Just make sure everybody's on board there. Um, and so uh, we, uh, you know, we, I'm walking up the driveway, and I'm right in the picture window there. I see this mop of blonde curls and these big brown eyes and this big million-dollar smile waving back at us. He was told that this would be his special day, and he was going to meet some special people, and he sort of pointed to himself like he understood, you know. I remember getting to the door, and uh, right away, his little hand grabbed mine, and he pulled me into the uh, living room where he was playing with fire trucks on the ground. And we, I get down on the ground, I'm playing fire trucks with him, and we greet the foster family, wonderful Christian couple who've been looking after him since birth. And over in the corner, there's a crib, and there's a little baby in there. And we said, who's that? They said, well, that's his brother, uh, who's not yet ready to be adopted yet, but we hope he will be someday. Okay, so we, we're, we're just playing. I'm just playing with him, and he doesn't really speak English yet. He sort of speaks some baby dialect that I didn't fully understand. <laughs> and uh, so I, I had to connect with him the same way I did with Sarah, you know, through the, through the eyes and, and through play. And as I'm looking into his eyes, uh, something extraordinary happens. Out of the corner of my eye, I see in the bottom left-hand corner of the television screen in the living room, um, is my name is printed in the bottom left-hand corner, which, you know, is kind of weird. I just met these people like five minutes ago. So I said, you know, what's the deal with my name on your TV? And they said, oh, um, oh, well, we were listening to the uh, Christian satellite radio station. So, you know, maybe they're playing one of your songs kind of thing. So, so they uh, turn up the volume because they had the sound all the way down, which, you know, I tried not to take personally. <laughs> so they turn up the volume and it's this song that I just played for you guys. This, uh, it's not the end of the road. And we just looked, my wife and I just looked at each other, and time froze, and we just were like, you've got to be kidding me. Because while you're waiting for something, you guys know, you, if you've waited for something, you know, you've asked, you've asked these questions. Lord, do you hear me? Lord, do you care? Lord, are you powerful enough to do something about my predicament? And in one moment, he answered all of those questions. And we knew that we were in the right place at the right time. And so we decided a few things that day. We were going to adopt this little boy. We were going to name him Gabriel. And that we were going to adopt this foster family as well. And normally, uh, in a lot of situations, people kind of just sort of wave goodbye to the foster family after they pick the child up. But we wanted to keep them in the loop and keep them in the family. And we also decided that we would pray earnestly that their little, his little brother, Simon, would be able to join us someday. And so in December 2011, uh, little Simon joined uh, Gabriel Moon. Uh, and I think we have pictures here. There's, there's Gabriel here uh, with his mom. This is the first Mother's Day, about a week after we adopted him. And uh, there's a picture of him um, a little more today. And then there's a picture of Simon, who's his little brother. 
And uh, these guys are like Mutt and Jeff, you know. They just uh, <laughs> they get along. They get along like brothers, you know. So one of them, uh, Gabriel's a little more like Curious George. He's, uh, he has to know how everything works. And little Simon there is uh, he's a little more like Winnie the Pooh, you know. He always is like looking for a snack at some point, you know. He's like, yeah, I could, I could go for a snack right about now. Uh, so he's a funny guy. And uh, these guys are, they, it feels like they were meant to be in our family and that God has kind of brought us through this journey of waiting. And it brought them through a journey as well, if you think about it. These kids really uh, needed a forever family. They needed somebody who would adopt them and take them into their, in, into their family, into, their, into the fold. And, and believe in them and speak words of encouragement to them and, and love them and give them the access to the gospel and everything else. And I can't help but thinking, uh, as I share this story, um, that there are children all over the world this morning who are in a much worse predicament. They, are, they don't know where the next meal is coming from. Um, they don't know if their parents are going to have work. They don't know if they're going to be snatched up off the street by gangs. Uh, they live in uh, pretty much daily fear, and uh, that fear can really wear on a person. And um, these are children, you know. These are the ones that, that, that God has a huge heart for children. Uh, he said, you know, uh, suffer the little children to come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if that's true, and if what Jesus said about the least of these, if, if you've done, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done so to me. So, all these children around the world that are uh, suffering, they're like little Christs. And if we want to know how to love Christ, he was pretty clear about that. It's like, love the poor. Love the children. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning we have an opportunity to join up with an organization that has figured out how to do this effectively around the world and is currently doing it and executing it beautifully. Recently in Business Week, they, uh, they, which is a secular news organization that has no need to speak highly of, of Christian organizations, they did a whole uh, article, and they said, if you want to do something for the world, sponsor a child through compassion. It works. Because they recently uh, authored a study. There was an independent research company that, that authored a study that uh, looked at 10 years of data uh, through compassion and looked at all of the outcomes to see whether they were good or they were not so good. They were unbelievable. And so I've always believed in compassion just because of I've actually seen the, the work in the field and they've opened their books to me. They, they're audited every year. But the, uh, the organization is, 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 is the, the effectiveness of the organization is, for, is more far-reaching than that. And it's this most recent study proves that. And there's little... Uh, there's little um, booklets in some of the rows, and you can kind of pass that down if you want to kind of take a look. In there are actual stats that I'm talking about of how this is how this is uh, uh, unfolded over the years for compassion. And um, it's one thing to talk about stats; it's another thing to actually show you what it's like in the field. So let's take a look today at a, at a just a short clip, and then I'll just briefly close. Um, this is uh, this gives you an idea of what um, compassion is doing in the field of uh, Dominican Republic these days. Let's take a look. Every day, millions of children fight for their lives. They face a dangerous enemy, one who would steal their joy 
their childhood and their hope. That enemy is poverty. For a young girl like Karina, poverty doesn't just mean hunger, ill health and a lack of opportunity. It means fear and vulnerability as she is forced to fend for herself and her younger brothers and sisters while her parents struggle every day to put food on the table. They lack the most basic of needs and without intervention, Karina's future is an all too familiar story. Ginselli, a dentist from the Dominican Republic, knows more than most the plight of those in need. Karina reminds me when I was her age because I used to live in a house like that with only one room and no bathroom inside. It's a story of daily struggles. You start just looking at yourself like you don't have any value. You think, I cannot change what I am. My fear was to end my life as the teenager that I saw. I always wanted to be a dentist. When I just come to my reality, I just understand that I couldn't afford that. If we didn't have just a little bit of rice in our house, how come can I pay in university? How come can I think Four years ago, Karina's life changed through the help of compassion when someone at a church event in North Carolina chose to become her sponsor. Ginselli knows what a difference this makes. My story changed when compassion with my sponsor and also the team of my church came to my life. It was really exciting for me to go to the project because I knew that a lot of friends were waiting for me. And also because my director was really lovely. She used to hug us. She used to ask her, hey, Giselle, how are you? Through the project, I was able to go to my school with my stomach full of food. If I get sick, I have someone to take care of me. Every day we have someone who teaches a Bible story and we used to sing and sometimes the teacher just stand up and say, who can start praying? And a lot of kids were raising their hands and it means that we just believe in that God was with us. We, as a child, we are sick. And if someone just take us and put us in the right earth and give us water to letters and water to the team of compassion, we start growing. And one day, we start giving fruit. My sponsor used to write it to me. I can do everything in Jesus Christ. So, in the deep part of my heart, I knew that God was able to do something with my dream. If I were able to have my sponsor in front of me, the only thing that I can just tell her is just thank you. Thank you so much for changing my life. Thank you so much for my past. And thank you so much for what I am right now, because what I am right now is because God used her so much.
one is considering and a sponsor a child, what I can say is just do it. <laughs> Don't think about it, just do it. That's it. This morning, maybe you've, um, maybe you've sponsored a child with compassion before. Maybe you have children through, through compassion this morning. Um, but maybe God is laying your, on your heart this morning that you need to add to that family of kids. And maybe for those of you who've heard this message several times and just never really stepped out and acted on it, that this is the morning. For some reason, you know, for some reason I'm here this morning. And I, I can't help but think that maybe God is, is doing a work in this church to raise up folks who will run with his game plan for the world and one child at a time show God's love and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's really, and of course he said, don't think about it, just do it. (laughs) I love that. I think that's great. But uh, there are those among us, we're Canadians after all, who like to think about it. I'm one of those people. I'm a very cynical person, and so I needed to know everything about the organization before I would ever get up here and speak about it to uh, you folks this morning. And so they were really good about opening the books to me, as I said. And uh, it's, a, it, it's an organization that is peerless. It's just what they do in the world is just incredible. People say how much of the money goes directly to the child. Um, all of the money that uh, is, uh, is slated for the, the field, which is 86%, that all goes to your child, to the child's project that, he's, that he or she is in. And when you give birthday gifts and, and Christmas gifts, 100% of that uh, goes directly to the child. And uh, you say, well, why not 100% in total? Well, of course, the organization needs to function with administrators and buildings and stuff like that. But uh, as, you've seen, as you've seen in the past, sometimes charitable organizations spend too much money on that stuff, and they don't send enough into the field. Uh, so the government has, has said, you know, you have to try to hit 80%, you know, and so uh, they're hitting 86%, which is kind of unheard of in the, in the field of, uh, of world development. And so uh, that's just some stuff to think about. Also, I mean, people, people sometimes have excuses. They sort of say, well, I don't know if I can do it right now. I'm only 15 years old. What can I do, you know? But uh, if I could tell you the number of people that I've met in the field who were sponsored by 15-year-old girls... Uh, or, or young boys that have risen to places of prominence within Compassion's organization, who have become uh, uh, ministers in the uh, church, who have become uh, ministers in the, the, uh, the office of, of government in Haiti. Uh, it's incredible to see how many uh, people have been impacted by the obedience of teenagers. So if there are teenagers here today and you're not sure, can I step out and can I give $41 a month to this organization. My, my thing is, you only really have to ask, what is, uh, what is money for, you know, really? Is it, is it something that we have to hold on to? Is it, is it scarce? Do we have to hang on to it? Or is it just something that we are given stewardship over for a time? And once God decides what needs to be done with it, we just need to act in obedience, and he will take care of it. He takes care of blessing us financially. He takes care of how the money gets around the world and gets to these, these folks. And so I would just say um, to, to pray about it this morning. And there are uh, gifted uh, volunteers with compassion who can answer all of your questions. Uh, should, you, should there be any questions that I didn't answer in this, uh, this morning? 
But I would really just encourage you to go over there and, and, and uh, shake hands with them. And um, before even you sit down for brunch, to consider those who are not sitting down for brunch today. And, um, and, and what's, what maybe their lives are like this morning. So let's sing this, uh, this song this morning as we go. This is a song that's um, it's just a sending song. And it's a, it's a song of just uh, next steps after hearing what, what God has, has laid on our hearts this morning. And um, let's stand together. Good. 